nerds monica here welcome to the data podcast for nerds where we talk to amazing professionals and ask them all about how they use data to solve the world's problems plus we include some fun bits because we're all nerds here and we love having fun and just highlighting different careers that you might not think that are data related so today with us we have siora ford how are you siora I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. <laughs> so we typically start off our podcast with kind of like an origin story, comic book theme type thing. <laughs> so if you could please tell us about yourself and your background and how you got to where you are today in your career. Yeah. So I think the beginning of my story starts at the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020. Um, at that point, I was doing freelance digital marketing. So I would work with like local businesses and help them revamp their um, social media and things like that, like paid ads, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when the pandemic happened, I lost all of my freelance clients. So I was out of work. And up till then, I had like, I had been curious about tech, I had been curious about coding and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, you know what? I don't have, I'm not working right now. Like I have nothing else to lose. Everything was shut down. So I didn't have like any trips or anything going on. Like, so I was like, I'm going to focus on learning how to code. So I started a program through Udacity um, that was for cloud DevOps engineering, which is super intimidating for somebody who's like no technical background. Like that's <laughs> not, if I could do this over again, that probably isn't the thing I want to start it out with. But um, it gave me, a good foundation. I started learning Python through that. I learned a lot about AWS and cloud technologies. Um, and because cloud DevOps is such a non-beginner friendly topic, um, I was constantly confronted with trying to learn things outside of the program, looking up things that were full of jargon that I didn't understand. So that was like the start of my um, interest in creating content that was beginner friendly because I felt like if even if no matter how advanced the topic is, if beginners can understand it, then everybody wins, right? Um, because you have no idea where people are starting from. You have no, no idea what their background knowledge is. And we tend to define jargon with more jargon, which is, makes everything <laughs> like really hard to understand. So um, I started to write content for cloud engineering. So I would write posts about like um, AWS and different things that are going on in the crazy world of AWS. And, um, and that kind of helped me get started with doing some content creation. And then I also started to do like events. I was on a couple podcasts. I gave a couple talks. I was on like a panel before for um, Jamstack. And all of this happened within like six months of me starting that program because I was like, yeah, I didn't have anything going on. <laughs> so I was like, um, and I had like, I had done a couple like contract things with some startups, nothing like that was strictly developer related, but I did do some like contract content work for um, some startups. So that was like how I was sustaining myself during this time. But I spent so much time doing like content and events and podcasts and all kinds of stuff. And everything was virtual. So it was super easy to get to the events. I didn't have to like travel anywhere. So <laughs> I was like going like hard. I was going so hard during this time. And then, um, and then after that, after about six months, I got my first job through, um, I did a contract role with 
Digital Ocean as a technical writer. So I went from doing like Python and AWS stuff to moving on to this team where we mostly worked with front end technologies like React and TypeScript and JavaScript and stuff. So I kind of had to like shift gears a lot and like dive into that whole world, which I was like semi familiar with because I feel like a lot of times when people are learning how to code, like a lot, like a lot of the first introductory stuff will be like JavaScript this and build a website and stuff. So I knew like a little bit about it, but not a ton. So that role, like, I was like thrown into the deep end <laughs> and I ended up learning so much through doing that. And then after that, um, I ended my contract there. And the thing about being a contractor is that you don't get like the same at this job. Anyway, I wasn't getting the same like career support that I felt like I needed as someone so fresh in the tech industry. So there were no like manager one-on-ones and like, how can you progress your career and how can you like advance and stuff? Because I was just a contractor, came to do my job and then left. Um, so after that, I moved to a start, I started working at a startup, um, as a developer marketing coordinator, which was the way to say that I did a million things <laughs> in one role. That's how startups are. Um, but again, this was like, for me being a junior and being so new in my career, it kind of like stunted my growth a little bit. So I got to a point where I was like, I think it's time for me to leave this role. So I started thinking about what I wanted to do next. I was like, I've done the cloud stuff. I've done the Python, the, the front end writing events and stuff. And this role had me doing a lot of like marketing work. So I was like, what do I want to do? Like, I've done a little bit of a lot of things. So where do I want to move next? I wasn't sure if I wanted to do like a purely engineering role or if I wanted to do content or technical writing, like what? So I ended up deciding that I wanted to do a little bit of everything, which you can do when you're a developer advocate. So um, I started applying for developer advocacy rules. I sent out a tweet on Twitter. Like, if you guys know of any like developer advocate stuff going on, like, let me know. So I ended up um, interviewing at this startup called Apollo GraphQL, and they focus a lot on GraphQL. Um, and I got the job, and it was so interesting because I was like, during the interview process, I told them like, I don't know anything about GraphQL, <laughs> like nothing. But um, what I, my claim to fame during that interview was that I was really, at that point, I had so much practice with um, learning new things and breaking them down in a way that was easy for anybody to understand, given my experience with AWS and DevOps and how like intimidating that is. And then moving into a role where I knew nothing about like TypeScript and React and having to like hit the ground running and be able to create content that was understandable. So I was like, this is what I'm really good at. So it doesn't matter if I don't understand it. I promise you, I can still make a huge impact on this team in this community. And they hired me. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. That was like my first developer advocate role. And I really enjoyed that. It was a startup though. And startups come with their slew of things that you have to deal with, with things changing and things that can drastically change on your team overnight. So I ended up, um, I did that role for about maybe a little less than a year. And then I left that job and I took like a three month break because up till then I had been like going nonstop, like since I learned how to coast, I was like, I need a break. Like I need a chance to like, <laughs> you know, just like sleep in and stuff, and, like, yeah. not have like a million things going on. Um, and I think also this is around when I think before I left that job, I had started at, started being a co-host on the Stack Overflow podcast. So okay. um, I was doing that while I was like on my little like 
you know, what do they call it? Fun employment, like time. <laughs> I was doing the, the podcast and stuff and I still did like content here and there. Um, and then I started looking for, it was like, while I was on my little break, I still was like applying for jobs, but I was like very picky about what I wanted, where I wanted to go, the compensation I wanted, what I wanted to work on. And that's how I ended up where I am now. So I work at Okta now. I'm on the Allstero team and Allstero focuses more on the customer identity side of things. So what that means is we do like a lot of like login stuff. Meanwhile, Okta is much more, they call it workforce identity. So a lot of people, their experience with Okta is logging into and keeping their like work laptops and work files and work everything like secure. So I'm on the off zero team. So um, I've been there since July, since like the very beginning of July. Um, it hasn't been a year yet. My year will be coming next month. So I'm excited about that. And I've been doing like a ton of stuff here. I've been, this is like, so obviously I got into tech during the pandemic when events weren't a thing, like in-person events weren't a thing. So this is my first time like giving talks in person. And this is my first time like running a booth at a conference and stuff like that. So it's been really interesting. It's like, it's so different from virtual events. It's super different. And it's so much more nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> <I bet. laughs> like so different to have to like get up in front of like hundreds of people and like talk about stuff like what, but it's a lot of fun and I'm really enjoying it so far. That's awesome. So would you consider yourself more on the data side or the cyber side with the company that you work at? Yeah, I would say that's a very interesting question because I would say it's kind of like in between because also like believe it or not it's so funny that this is about this podcast is about like data because being a developer advocate has so much to do with data and people may not know that like off the bat but one of the things about it is that it's a little bit of a mix with marketing we do have to take into account a lot of things about like how many people are um going to these events, how many people are we trying to reach? Like, it's so, it's so much data. Mm -hmm. I wish, sometimes I wish our team had like a data analyst. So they, like, I wouldn't have to do this stuff so much. <laughs> There's like so much, so many numbers we have to keep track of. We have to keep track mm -hmm. of our impact and how, like, was this worth the return on investment given how many X, my X, Y, Z amount of people we reached and how much time it took to like, it's so much. Mm -hmm. So there is like, may, it may not seem that way, um, at first glance, but there is a lot of data that's involved with this kind of work. And then of course, there's like the security side of it because I do work for an identity security company. So a lot of, and this is like my first time having to deal so much with identity security and be aware of how complicated it is, but how like high stakes of an issue it is as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's interesting. It's like, yeah, the, I think the data part is the part that I like struggle with a lot because I'm just, I did digital marketing, like I said, so I'm used to having to pay attention to numbers, but having to balance so many things and measure impact for something like for a job like this through data is like, it's interesting. It's an interesting issue. Definitely. Yeah. Have you thought about taking maybe another Udacity course for intro to data analytics to help you out with the data side of it? I, sh I should. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely should. There's someone on my team. She... Um, used to do data science and data analytics. She's like a Python expert. 
And I feel like she deals with all this stuff so much better than I do because she has like that background with dealing with data and, and knowing how to look at it and how to analyze it properly. So I probably should like, <laughs> I haven't done it yet. There's like so many, that's another thing about like working in tech in general and then working in dev like developer advocacy is that there's so much out there to learn. So my list is very long, but I need to bump that like in priority because it is like a thing that um, especially I'm trying to like get a, like get promoted to senior. And I feel like knowing how to look at these numbers and how to contextualize them and like make a case for different things with numbers backing it up can help me make that move. So I definitely should consider doing that strongly. Absolutely. <laughs> so what about the domain knowledge, like the security side? How did you get into that and learn about that side? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I think that if you gather anything from my like career journey is that I am constantly like diving headfirst into things I know nothing about. <laughs> and like, That's the fun part. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a lot of fun for me. Um, the thing is that um, the what I've discovered is the best way to learn anything is to actually do it. Mm -hmm. So um, there's this article by um, someone she works at Google now. I think she's like their head of web something. She's a head of some department in, in Google. She, her name is Sarah Drasner, and she wrote an article um, that is basically about how to learn, how you can learn something new. And one of the things she talks about is like, you can read as many articles, take as many courses as you want, but nothing is going to teach you as much as actually building with whatever the technology is. So I didn't start to like when I worked at Apollo GraphQL, I didn't really start to grasp GraphQL and how it works in the whole like um, stack until I started to actually build GraphQL APIs and integrate them with React projects and things like that. Um, so the same thing here, I didn't really understand the ins and outs of um, identity security and how it plays out in um, building any kind of application and still until I started to actually try to build with it myself. And of course, like, because identity is one of those things that is a little less concrete than something like building an API or something like that, I still have to do a lot of like taking courses and my company thankfully provides like a lot of like training materials that I take. But I also try to either there's one or two things that I try to do depending on what the topic is. So I'll either build something with it. So that could be like, um, right now I'm working on a project with Next.js where I will be having using Auth0 to store data and information about users and then also allow users to log in and log out safely of the application. Um, so building a project is the one way. And then the second way is to teach whatever the thing is. So yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for some other things in identity, they're not like things you can necessarily like build, but they're just like knowledge you should know. So being able to remember those things can be really hard. So the way that I force myself to do it is I'll literally like either write a blog post or I'll give a talk like sign up to give a talk on this thing that I know nothing about. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just um, signed up to give a talk for um, a conference and I hope they accept my, accept my CFP because it's happening in Philadelphia. And I feel like since I'm from Philly, you have to let me give a talk at this Philadelphia conference. Did you put that in your application? <laughs> I did. I, I put that Philly. in the note. Like, please, please accept me. Like I'm the Philly resident developer advocate, but that's beside the point. I am going to be talking about, um, identity concepts for JavaScript developers. So how they can like 
the things they need to know and how it applies to the work that they do. And this is stuff that I like know, but I don't feel like I know it well enough to like on the spot right now, like in 30 minutes without a script, talk about it. So having mm-hmm. the talk and having to write out the talk and having to do the research for the talk is like going to going to number one, reemphasize the things that I already know really well, which makes me feel good about myself. And then it also, number two, exposes the things that I don't know so well. So it forces me to research those things and put it in my own words and contextualize it and conceptualize it in a way that's easy for me to understand, and hopefully easy for other people to understand. So that's kind of like my method is it's like these things are very high pressure because <laughs> if you have to like write an article that thousands of people are going to read or you have to like get up on stage and talk to like a hundred people, um, you really want to make sure you know your stuff. Yes. And so it that is for me like a huge motivating factor in like doing the research, taking the notes, writing the scripts and all that kind of stuff, which is really helpful. I love that approach that you just submit the application before you have anything truly yeah. finalized. And then you're like, well, I got to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> and like it, it works so well. I think that most of the things that I've like learned and know really well, where like I can talk about this for days are things that I've either written an article about or given a talk for. Um, because I'm the kind of person who I don't have like intrinsic internal motivation to do stuff, unfortunately. Like, I'm not going to just think like, it would be really nice to learn data analytics and just do it. I have to have like, again, I want to get the senior title. So that is going to like motivate me to like scale up so I can get the senior, senior title or I want to give this talk and I don't want to look like an idiot on stage. Mm-hmm. So it's going to motivate me to actually do the work of studying and taking the notes, taking the courses and everything. So that's how I have to like work with my brain and my own personality since I'm like, I have no internal motivation ever. So I, it has to be tied to something <laughs> external. So conferences like, and the fear of not knowing what I'm talking about or not delivering the information that people are there to learn, like is a huge motivating factor. So mm-hmm. it helps a lot. Absolutely love that approach. I feel <laughs> so inspired. I'm going to write all of these applications and submit them now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome well okay so now i want to transition into our fun bit section okay cool so you mentioned that you are a co-host for the stack overflow podcast can you tell us like how did you get how did you first get involved with that yeah this is so funny because I literally don't even know how this really happened. <laughs> like I I knew the, this is one of those things that's very full circle. And I'm also like, I've talked a lot about like the technical stuff, but I'm a huge advocate for being involved in the community, the tech community or your respective like language community um, and trying to contribute because every contribution you make will be repaid back to you. So when I was, I mentioned when I was first trying to get into tech, I like a- attended all these events. I like was a moderator for the Women of React event when I didn't even know what React was at the time. <laughs> I just was like trying to be involved and they needed moderators for their Discord chat. So I was like, okay, I'll moderate. And that is how I met one of the speakers. Her name is Cassidy Williams. And she's also one of the co-hosts for the Stack Overflow podcast. Um, so that's how we kind of like made our connection. And we would like chat sometimes on Twitter. I would like retweet her articles and things like that. And, you know, if she had something cool going on, I would comment and we would kind of like talk like this. Um, and so apparently there was the folks over at Stack Overflow were looking for someone else to put on their podcast panel and they wanted it the panel to be more reflective of what the developer um 
community looks like now. So previously they had like, I think two people and they both were like white men in tech, you know, and things are different now. We have a lot of women, we have a lot of people of color. So um, Cassidy had joined the panel and they were like, do you know anybody else who, who could be interested? And she like mentioned me and the, the main host who actually works at Stack Overflow ended up emailing me. And I was like, what in the world is going on? Like, wow, <laughs> what's happening right now? And so of course I said, yes, like I'm, it's this it's Stack Overflow. So I said, yes, <laughs> like what in the world? Like, that's one of the things in my career that I'm like, how did this happen? Why are you talking to me? What's going on? And I'm not going to say no to that. So I said, yes. Yeah. So that's how I joined the panel. Um, and it's been a lot of fun so far. It's like, I have gotten to talk to, so the way we do it is we, we either have the home team. So it's me, Ben Popper and Cassidy Williams. And we'll talk about like a topic, like an article we found or something like that. Or we'll talk with um, other people in the community. So a lot of times they're like startup founders and things like that. So I've gotten to meet and talk to so many like amazing people. It's been a lot of fun. Um, so it's, it's, it's literally probably the craziest thing that has ever happened in my career so far. And like, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm just going to take the opportunity and <laughs> run with it. I'm assuming you used Stack Overflow before they reached out to you. Oh, yeah. So you knew like, wow, yeah. why, what did yeah, I do wrong? Like, why are they what, reaching out to me? Like, yeah, like honestly, Stack Overflow <laughs> is one of those things in the developer community, like GitHub that everybody mm -hmm. knows and everybody uses. Yep. Like no matter what sector of tech you're in, every beginner is like always on stack overflow trying to figure stuff out and even like senior super senior people are on stack overflow so mm -hmm. it's something everybody knows which is why I was like why are you guys contacting me <laughs> so yeah it was just really it was so funny and it like blew my mind because I was I still feel like I'm very early on in my career like it'll be three years officially in September but when mm -hmm. they reached out to me I was like a year and a half in so I was like what what's happening <laughs> like so yeah it's really it's really awesome and it's and it's I feel so like humbled and honored to like be a part of this yeah it sounds like you're having a really good time yeah what is your favorite episode like what or what is the favorite most favorite thing that you've learned from uh, episodes? yeah so I think um my favorite conversations usually center around two things so it's either AI or crypto and blockchain and I say and it's if anybody here listens to the Stack Overflow podcast and they hear me say this they're gonna laugh because I'm usually the biggest hater of AI and blockchain. <laughs> like, I'm usually on the podcast like, nope, I'm usually like the naysayer. And the reason why I say those are my favorite conversations is because I learn so much. Sometimes like people shy away from disagreeing with other people. Mm -hmm. But I the thing I like about the podcast is that even when we disagree, we still have very constructive conversations and it's never any kind of like conflict or anything like that no tension or anything which to me is really important because I think sometimes we get we're, we're afraid to disagree with one another or afraid to bring up like our contrary opinions um no matter how informed they are because we don't want to like rock the boat or anything like that but um my favorite episode to date is probably one we filmed like two months ago where we were talking about um AI art and how blockchain could help artists to be able to protect their art from being uh, turned into oh. 
AI. So artists, like, this is one huge issue in the artist community right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of their art will be um, trained on these, like, AI models. And so they, they, a lot of them don't want that to happen. But it's very mm -hmm. hard to protect your art if it's public in any kind of way on the internet. It's hard to protect your art from being used in AI. So um, this article was written by someone who is involved in the Columbia Data Science like institute I think it was it was so informative because before then I've been like super like blockchain is not cool it a lot of it has like a lot of the crypto stuff and blockchain technologies have a really terrible impact on the environment and I just didn't see like the point of how this could actually like help anybody until I read this and not until I read this because I've heard some other like applications that are pretty mm -hmm. cool but this using it to help protect artists and help protect their work to me was like really powerful. Um, and then it also talked about a tool that someone built and it's not using um, blockchain, but it's another thing that can help, uh, help, it can help artists protect their art, which to me, these are like some of the issues that when we're building technology, we are, a lot of us are like very tech focused and we're engineers and some of us don't have like other backgrounds in art or wherever the thing mm -hmm. is. So we forget about how the things we built will affect those people. Um, so I'm always happy to see when we are able to build things that aren't only like interesting technologically, right? These are not like the tool that will help people protect their art from AI is definitely like, I'm sure I actually really like to meet like the people who built it, but I'm sure it's like super advanced and has a lot of cool technologies involved and a lot of things going on under the hood that are very interesting. And we could talk about for days, for hours mm -hmm. that are going to be interesting to anybody who's involved in the tech industry. But it also helps people who sometimes we forget, like I'm sure the people who built the like AI art when you look at it from a purely technical standpoint, it's really cool. Like it's mm -hmm. really fascinating, but we don't think about like the impact it has on actual artists. Yeah. So I think it's um, nice to see that we can build these things that are cool. Like they're, they have a lot going on on the technical side of things, but they also have a good impact on like our world at large. So I tend to be very like, I can be very pessimistic about like how AI is going to affect our future and how blockchain is going to ruin the environment, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> like I can go hard on the like, like being like a pessimist and like raining on everybody's parade, but seeing things like this gives me hope about how we, there are ways that we can build things that can help people that can still give us like itch that like scratch we have as engineers that we want to build cool things and stuff like that so I I really liked that episode it was really positive and I think it was like a, a um the first time that I like was not being hella negative about <laughs> about AI and blockchain which was really cool are there any other favorite episodes that you have or favorite topics that you like to yeah. talk about on your episodes yeah one thing that I really really like is like we primarily when we interview people, we primarily are talking to like startup founders, um, people who are building developer tool companies. And the thing I love about that is that I'm a super lazy developer. Like <laughs> I want to build things quickly and as painlessly and frictionlessly as possible. Yeah. And so when we talk to these people, it's so nice to hear about how they're building tools that are specifically going to help make our lives easy, easier as developers. Like that is music to my ears. Mm -hmm. I just love it so much because I'm like, 
I'm furthering, I'm further along in my career. And like I told you, I'm trying, I'm like aiming to become a senior developer advocate sometime in the near future. But I still have like this, like the, the feeling of being lost and confused as a beginner is so real for me. I'm always thinking about like, how can we make things more accessible, more like easier for people, less blockers for people who are trying to learn and trying to build things. And so when I hear about these developer tools that make things like, um, databases and cloud technologies and all that kind of stuff like easier to scale and easier to learn and work with I'm always like this is awesome like this is so cool (laughs) so all the conversations like we've talked to um the founder of planet scale and they like build database solutions that are supposed to be like super easy to integrate and super easy to scale which makes it like easier for anybody to build actual like profitable products which to me is so cool because I think um one of the issues that has, has been a barrier to entry for a lot of people, especially people who are trying to build products and start businesses, is that a lot of um, the technologies that you need to build like a full-fledged po- product are so hard to understand. Um, like databases, nobody's going to tell you that that's an easy thing, right? So I love to hear that like they're building a tool that's going to make it easier for somebody who may not have like a lot of um, expertise in that field to build something and to scale something more easily. Um, so I just imagine all of the doors that opens up for people to be able to build people who may not have the time to dedicate to learning some new technology mm-hmm. or have the time to dedicate to figuring out how to debug and work with these things. So that opens up the amount of people who can build things and it opens up the amount of um, solutions and products we could have out there, which to me is exciting. So Mm -hmm. I love having conversations like that. A lot of the people we talk to tend to like fit into that category. And it's always so interesting to me. This is why I'm saying like my list of things to work with and try and play with. (laughs) It sounds so long. It's so long because I'm always finding out about these, these like cool products and stuff that I want to try and everything. Like we just talked to, um, the people who are building this framework called Astro, which is like, it sounds so cool. It's like in the same category as like um, Remix, Gatsby, Next.js, like in that came, um, like category of, of React JavaScript frameworks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to try it out so badly because talking to the team like made it seem so cool and so like easy to work with. And I'm like, I got to try this. Like I have a no. bunch of like ideas I could like use this for. And I still haven't gotten <laughs> to doing it I know like I'm so I'm telling you my list of like projects and technology to try out and things to learn is like so long I need to like go through it and shorten it and make it a little bit more realistic but yeah yeah maybe set some priorities to it reorganize it a bit (laughs) Yeah, yeah 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 absolutely like I, I think I mentioned earlier this project I'm building with Next.js and Auth0. And obviously, like, part of it is so that I can learn how to integrate Auth0 more, like, in more advanced ways than I know already. But also, I am, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I'm super into K-pop. <laughs> like, <laughs> love it. Yeah, it's one of my, like, biggest hobbies and. Um, one thing that's really big with K-pop fans is that we buy albums. Nobody buys CDs and albums okay. anymore. But in K-pop, albums, first of all, are really pretty. Like they come with like all these beautiful like covers and stuff. And they come with like posters and different like photo cards and stuff like that. So a lot of people like to buy them because it's like extra stuff that they come with. Mm-hmm. So I have so many 
and I have a bunch that I want to buy and I have no way to keep track of these things in a way that's fun. So I want to build like basically um, a tracker for the, the ones that I have. Cause also another thing I've done is I've like bought the same album twice because I forgot that I bought it. Oh <laughs> so, my goodness. I know. So I want to build this app that will help me keep track of the ones that I bought and how much I spent on them and then keep track of the ones that I want to buy and like where I can buy them from and all that kind of stuff. So I want to use um, Next.js for that. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is because that's something that I literally need to have and I need mm -hmm. it now. So that's going to like force me to prioritize learning Next.js and prioritize like building that thing because it's actually something I need. Um, and so that's like, that's how I have to go through this list of things that I like, the list is so long, but it's like, what am I going to, what could I build with this and how could this like impact me or my career or people in the community in a way that's positive. So that's kind of like, I'm talking out loud through this and I promise you, I still won't prioritize this list after this conversation, but like, that's one, if anybody else has a long list, this is how you can like figure out how to prioritize things properly. But yeah. I mean, those are good takeaways on like how to prioritize. Yeah, will just, I do like, it though? Probably not. <laughs> but it's a thought. It's a thought. It's a positive thing to walk away from this podcast with. It is. <laughs> do you have any other final words of encouragement or recommendations for the listeners? Yeah, I think um, one thing I've been thinking about lately, we didn't talk about this too much in this podcast, is imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, we kind of did talk about it with like the, the Stack Overflow podcast. Like I felt incredible imposter syndrome when they approached me with this. And like imposter syndrome is that voice in you that's going to tell you, say no to that because you know you're not qualified and you don't deserve this. But I said yes anyway. Um, and my thing, the thing that I've been trying to practice, because I still come across this like nagging voice when I'm like trying to fill out a CFP or thinking about taking an opportunity or applying for something. And I'm like, no, you shouldn't be doing this because you don't know enough and you're not the right person to speak about this topic or whatever the case may be. It's to me, a lot of people will talk about getting rid of imposter syndrome. And, and I feel like imposter syndrome is that little buddy that's going to stick with you forever and trying mm -hmm. to get rid of it is like an uphill battle. But what you can do is work on ignoring her. <laughs> whenever, like, whenever imposter syndrome says to me, like, you shouldn't be doing this, it's like, okay, you could be right, but I'm going to do it anyway. And, like, mm -hmm. act anyway is the thing that I would say, like, um, that has been one of the biggest drivers of my career thus far. There will be a job, a role that, like, I look at the qualifications and I'm like, there's no way I should be applying for this. But do it anyway. Like, yeah somebody could approach you to write an article or take this opportunity or do this thing or speak at this conference or meet up, do it anyway, no matter if the voice is really loud or you think she's really correct. It doesn't matter. Um, that's my biggest, that's the thing I would say, like walk away from this with ignore imposter syndrome and do the thing anyway, act anyway, despite how, despite what that voice is telling you. I love that. It reminds me of meditation. So they always mm -hmm. tell you like, oh, you know, the thoughts in your head, they're not going to stop. Don't force them to stop. Just accept them, yeah. understand them, and then move forward with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's super possible to do. I think sometimes we, we're so keen on like eliminating that issue, eliminate the, the thoughts or eliminate imposter syndrome. And it's like, you may not be able to do that, but you can definitely overcome them by like setting them to the side or putting them in their proper place. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Siora, for coming yeah. on the podcast. If anybody has any questions, where can they find and or follow you? Yes. Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Just search up Siora Ford. 
Um, I also have a Twitter account where I spend way too much time. My username there is Ciorio, so that's C-E-E-O-R-E-O underscore. And I also have a website where I have all my like content and blogs and talks listed. It's called Ciora.dev, so you can find me there too. Sounds good. And I'll provide all of those in the show notes as well. And cool. thank awesome. you again for being on the show. And as always, folks, happy learning. Bye.